The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Scots. Today I'm joined. <laughs> we had to laugh at the name, guys. Uh, today I'm joined by Lucy Dunn of The Spectator, Ian McWhirter, a Spectator contributor, author of Disunited Kingdom, and also a writer for The Times. Now, we've just heard him's use of speech at his first party conference as leader. Lucy, what were the main news lines? Yes, yeah, so Hamza's speech has been very announcement heavy and I think he did focus on the cost of living crisis and also putting forward this business friendly stance, particularly in the face of criticism that he's received over the past couple of months about his party not being there for small and medium businesses. Um, so he talked about having this council tax freeze. This is something that is slightly reminiscent of uh, former SNP leadership and has been discussed before. Um, it puts the Scottish government at odds with the Green Party, which wanted to, to raise council tax tax. So it's quite an interesting announcement to make. And one of his other big announcements was that by the end of Parliament, Scotland will go to the international bond market for the first time and will issue Scotland's first ever bond. Something that Hamza Yusuf um, was incredibly excited about to to announce so much so that he had stumbled over his words a a few times before he kind of got to the point. Ian, I suppose on just that bond announcement before we look at the fuller details, this is Hamza Yusuf trying to say this is going to show that Scotland's open for business, it's going to attract investment. Do you think it will have such an effect? Yeah, it's calling out for international investments, international investors to recognise there are returns to be made in Scotland. Well, this is fascinating because it's the first time, as far as I'm aware, the SNP has conceded that the Scottish Parliament does actually have the power to issue bonds on the international uh, money markets and has had since 2016. It's obviously language he's not familiar with and it will antagonize the Greens almost as much as the uh, freeze and council tax because putting Scotland up for sale to international financiers is not really what they have uh, in mind when they talk about a well-being economy. But I, it's, it's yeah, he's obviously trying to, to show that the, um, uh, the Scottish government can be fiscally responsible. But God, it's contradicted you know, in the, in the very same speech by a whole raft of spending announcements, which uh, Lucy has itemized there, you know, 500 for, million for renewables, 100 million extra for uh, arts and culture. Very welcome, I'm sure, but it's quite a surprise that. And 300 million for getting rid of hospital waiting lists, which of course won't because there's 700,000 people on hospital waiting lists in Scotland. And this will only get rid of 100,000 over the next three years. And it's unfunded. All these things are unfunded. And we know that the Scottish budget has a one billion pound black hole, which Shona Robinson has to fill in her next uh, Scottish budget. So, I mean, you know, this is very striking reversion to the kind of SNP's retail politics of the recent past, particularly this freeze in council tax. Because remember, the last six months, he's been talking about raising taxes, talking about progressive tax- taxation. We were told there's going to be another tax ban on people earning over 75000 a year. Instead, what many of his critics will call a regressive tax cut, which is freezing council, council tax, antagonizing the Scottish local authorities. So it's, it's a very confusing picture he's presenting in this. But, you know, he's got his main 
uh, issue through. He's managed to get the party talking about something other than de facto referendums. Though on that, independence was mentioned. And this comes after a debate at the beginning of the conference about what the independence position should be. Lucy, in the speech, it was suggested it be the first line of the manifesto. So can you just remind listeners what the evolved position is and what it actually means because there's been quite a lot of confusion. So the SNP under Hamza Youssef are pursuing the independent strategy which will see them if they achieve a majority of seats of Scottish seats at the next election they have agreed that this will give them a mandate to open independence negotiations with Westminster. It's a bit of a confusing strategy and I'm not entirely sure it's that convincing given that with previous electoral successes Westminster hasn't particularly budged on its position with it in terms of NDRF2 and I'm not entirely sure how this is, is going to create much difference in that kind of conversation. The speech that or the debate that was had on the first day of the SNP conference saw there was some pushback from politicians like Pete Wishart who's still pushing Nicola Sturgeon's sort of de facto referendum plan. But ultimately, people are being swayed by the sort of seats and, and the majority of seats, partly probably because there's a lot of concern about losing a number of seats to Labour in 2024. Ian, can we just crunch down on this? Because I think it can be a bit confusing in the sense that the de facto referendum Nicola Sturgeon wanted to do, you had a backlash from Westminster SNP MPs in particular, who felt as though in the next election, it might focus more given the cost of living crisis on domestic factors, and therefore it could harm them. Then we've had this debate that's got to a point of a compromise whereby it's a majority of seats, which in theory could allow them to focus more on domestic, is that right? But at the same time, you've got plenty of people saying, well, given you have that number of seats already, surely you have the mandate without going back to the electorate? Well, I mean, exactly. I detect the hand, I think, of Kevin Pringle, um, Hans Eustace's new media advisor here, who is very adept at controlling the, the Scottish press and I think has managed to sell the line that this is scrapping the de facto referendum policy altogether. But in fact, the whole phony plebiscite thing lives on. If you look at the resolution that's been passed, it says that if the SNP get a majority of seats, this will begin negotiations to give democratic effect to Scotland becoming an independent country. So it's basically the same policy as before, only now stating that it's it's a majority of seats rather than a majority of votes, because they realized, obviously, that the SNP's never had a majority of votes in any Westminster election. It's most unlikely to next time. I think it's really an attempt to fudge it out of existence, because everyone's so sick, and party is so sick, fed up talking about this process stuff. They're all happy just to sell lay it aside, not talking about it any, anymore. But the opposition, I mean, the, the other parties, obviously, Labour and the Tories, will not forget this. And they will say at the next election, if the SNP lose seats, they will say, well, what you've done, you've, by your own, you know, in your own admission, you've, you've lost because you said, you know, this is going to be a question of uh, the number of seats. And it's, it's still a, a proxy referendum you're proposing and you've lost it. And, you know, that's just going to draw attention to the fact that the SNP is is a, a loser here. But it's a, it is a classic case of fudging a policy to such an extent that nobody understands what it means anymore. And everyone just think, thinks, well, let's just move on and forget about it. 
And Lucy, do you think the fact they've now gone for a majority of seats, which will allow the SNP to lose lots of seats and still claim they have a mandate, though, of course, we don't really expect whoever is prime minister to, to give them what they want. Is that an acceptance that they do think they're heading to quite a bad result? So they're trying to save face now? I think there's definitely a, um, a growing worry, particularly after the rather than by-election result, that the SNP are, are losing these sort of soft independence voters that were never really naturally attached to a party anyway, but saw the SNP as being the best uh, form of pushback against the Tory government. And I think now Scottish Labour, because of how important this, the Scottish seats are and to cure Starmer in the next general election, is definitely being seen as a more attractive party, particularly because there is a real thirst for change in Scotland. And I suppose the SNP have been in power for the last 16 years and people want to see something different, no matter what that difference really actually is. Now, Ian, we had Nicola Sturgeon Day at SNP conference. Um, it was lots of excitement. Some said more excitement than perhaps there was for her successor. But I suppose you've also had the figures who have stayed away. And it's quite notable. There have been a handful of MSPs who have not gone to Aberdeen. Um, that includes Kate Forbes. What do you think that tells us about unity? I mean, Kate Forbes says she had long planned a trip in America, not as low SNP conferences around the same time every year. So, so how much should we draw from it and what it means for SNP unity going forward? Well, I, I mean, I mean there, there's a lot of, as you know, there's a lot of MS, uh, MPs standing down at the next election. There's a lot of uh, MSPs going astray as well, leaving, complaining about bullying. I mm. mean, not just um, Lisa Cameron, who um, has defected surprisingly to the Tories, but remember, Mary Black has stood down as well as an MP claiming that she was being bullied and that there was a toxic atmosphere and all the rest of it. So it's, it's a very troubled party at the moment. I think, presumably, I don't know, I haven't spoken to her, but I imagine Kate Forbes just didn't really want to be the focus of resentment and division, which she would have been had she turned up. Now, of course, Nicola Sturgeon is an obvious focus of, of, of similar uh, division uh, and drawing attention to the problems of the SNP since, of course, you know she is the focus of the Cash for Camper Vans affair and was arrested and then uh, released without uh, charge by the police. But, you know, she's still a heroic figure in the SNP pantheon, bound to, to get uh, a very warm welcome, not least from the press. I mean, it's quite amazing to see the, ex- the excitement of the press when uh, Nicola Sturgeon appeared. But uh, as far as Kate Forbes is, is concerned, I think everything that Hamza is doing is, is now, in much of his speech is partly uh, to try to address what she was uh, complaining about before, which the party had failed to have a proper growth strategy and was spending without finding ways of raising the money uh, to, to pay for it. And Lucy, on that, just a few final questions, but Lucy, on that, do you think Nicola Sturgeon's presence has been helpful to him? So you said it was put to her, was she the SNP's Liz Truss in a reference to the former Prime Minister trying to crash Rishi Sunak's parade at Manchester? <laughs> I think that Nicola Sturgeon... Certainly, yes, they did seem to overshadow everything else that was going on at the SNP conference. You know, as, as Ian was saying, the, the crowds that flocked to see her, I think there were tears from the party membership that, that got to speak to her. There's an amazing picture, I think, from one of the cameramen when you're looking sort of down bird's eye view of the press pack just, you know, circling around her. And I think that she does still have this real star power that Hamza Yusuf doesn't really seem to, hasn't, hasn't got himself yet. He doesn't really have the sort of same adoration from, from the members that Nicola Sturgeon does still have and there's definitely questions about how his personality will help the party given that people don't really connect with him in the same way and just finally Ian say the polls are 
as they currently are predicting. We take the Rather Than By election as a sign of what will come to pass in a general election this year. And Hims Yusuf's independent strategy doesn't do what he wants it to do. What do you think happens to the SNP, his leadership, but also beyond the, I mean, more generally the party, if they do lose half their seats, if the Scottish Labour Party becomes the biggest party in Scotland? Well, I think I think it, I think there really would be a revolt against uh, Amza Yousaf if that were to happen. Another reason, perhaps, why uh, Kate Forbes was uh, having a diplomatic absence from uh, this conference, because that's what every, is in the back of everybody's minds that uh, Hamza, useless as he's as he's known even by some in the party, has not had a very successful tenure as uh, first minister and party leader since he took over. He had all these chaotic uh, episodes with the de- deposit return scheme, the highly protected marine areas, the, all the, the the nonsense of the the, the um, Ferguson marine ferries. I mean, it's just a succession of issues which he's failed to address. And of course, there's this one coming very rapidly, I think, um, down the line, which is the commitment to, uh, to getting rid of a million gas boilers by 2030 at a cost of 33 billion pounds, which is a policy which is obviously going to have to be shelved, and yet Hemsley use appears to be persevering with it. So there's, as you know, great disquiet with the connection with the Green Party. Hamza Yusuf has identified himself very much with that kind of strand of SNP green activism, which, uh, which has caused great uh, discontent in the party. And if you get a collapse in the SNP vote, of the kind which is indicated by the polls at the moment, I don't think his premiership, his his leadership, really would be sustainable after that. I think there, and the party would be, would be extremely divided. And this is focused very much on the personality of of Hamza Yousaf. Remember, at this conference, he was attracted great sympathy because of the plight of his relatives in Gaza. Uh, so that suppressed a lot of the kind of grumbling that we've been hearing in the party about his his leadership. If the SNP has a catastrophic setback, we saw what happened in 2017 when they lost a third of their seats. Nicola Sturgeon, you know, was was rocked to her foundations by that setback. I think if that happened to Hamza Youssef, he would not be able to survive as, as leader. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, Lucy. And thank you for listening.